Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hello and welcome to Excellence Expected. My name is Mark Asquith. This week, once again, I seem to say this every single week actually, but this week I've got a really, really interesting topic and it's something that I think we all need to improve upon, but it's something that we all perhaps don't know that we need to improve upon. It's something that crops up so much, but it's very difficult to make tangible or to put a tag on. And that is... In business, how to create conversations that sell, how to build upon opportunities, even if actually we're not salespeople. Because you know what? We aren't salespeople, guys. A lot of the time, we just do our business, and none of us realistically feel like salespeople. So with me this week, I have Julie Broad. Welcome. Thank you. You are very welcome. So Julie, Really, really interesting topic. I know you'd uh, you'd actually done some some really really solid work on this, and you actually sent me over a heck of a lot of info talking around generating conversations that sell and really not leaving opportunities on the table. So it's such an interesting topic, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's it, it's something that I as I was just uh, before we got on the line, I was saying that it, I've been doing it for years because ultimately I've actually been in sales roles my entire life, but I actually hate selling. You know, I hate the concept of selling. So uh, it, I thought about it and I thought, well, how have I been doing so well in sales when I actually don't feel like a salesperson? I don't actually like calling myself a salesperson. And and ultimately, it just comes back to the conversations and, and how I'm able to control conversations and help people get what they want. The idea of controlling the conversation is something that I think a lot, a lot of people will find so, so valuable because as you said, they're not not everyone is a salesperson. Actually, not many people are salespeople. So uh, that that is going to be really, really interesting. So now before we get to that, what I'd love you to do is actually tell us a little bit about Julie Broad and your business. So tell us about your business. What is it and, and where did it come from? Well, in Canada, which is where I'm from, I'm from the West Coast of Canada, I'm well known as a real estate investor and a real estate investing expert. But before I was ever in real estate, I was in sales. And, you know, as I mentioned, I, I, I don't feel like I'm a salesperson. I certainly don't feel like I was born to sell. Well, as a kid, I never sat around saying, I can't wait to get into sales when I grow up. <laughs> so <laughs> the only reason, you know, being brutally honest, the only reason I ended up in a sales position before I started my own business was because when I was looking for a summer job, uh, when I was doing my university degree, uh, the best paying jobs were the sales jobs. And I wanted to make as much money as I could so I could go backpacking in Central America. So <laughs> I, you know, I had my priorities. So I took a job selling diapers and Kleenex for Kimberly Clark, which I believe is, is very an, a very international company. So people are probably quite familiar with Huggies and Kleenex and Kotex, no matter where you are. So that was my first job. And, and my first sales call was a complete disaster. That's where I knew for sure I wasn't born to sell. All I had to do was go into the store and get the manager to sign off on an order that someone else had already got him to agree to. So I didn't even have to sell. I just had to get him to sign a piece of paper. And as I was walking into the store, I, I, heard, I heard some yelling in the back. You know, I was heading towards the back where the storage room is and usually the offices are. 
And I, I heard all this yelling. And then I, I got closer and I, I saw one of the people who work in the store. And I, I said, oh, you know, is the manager in? And she pointed to the back room where the yelling was coming from. And, and the doors, just at the, that moment, the doors swung open and this guy walked out. And I could tell he was the sales rep and he was all red in the face. And I figured he was probably just the one getting yelled at. So I was not very keen on going in there. <laughs> <laughs> Into the lion's den. That's right. So I circled the store. I looked at the shelves. I pretended to take notes. And I finally went out to my car. I <laughs> I sat in the car and I, I started to cry. I thought, you know, I'm going to get fired because <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> That's amazing. And somehow you're still in sales. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I my fear of being fired was greater than my fear of just marching in there. So I eventually got the guts back up to go back in and and I just basically went right up to him and I said, hi, I'm Julie Broad. I'm the new rep with Kimberly Clark. You agreed to this order with Betty. I just need you to sign it. <laughs> and I put it in and front boom. of him. <laughs> he looked at Easy me. as that. Yeah, he looked at me. He signed it and off I went. But uh, after that, I had to figure out a better way to do this because that, that was not working out for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's nothing like a trial by fire to get you into the spirit of things, is there? <laughs> exactly. So so that's kind of how I started in sales. But uh, my, my business today is education and training, although I'm still very much a real estate. Uh, I'm still very much a real estate investor here in Canada, as well as I still do a lot of teaching and training around the real estate space at this at this particular moment. Um, and it all began from a newsletter. And that newsletter began basically from a desire to help people avoid the mistakes that we had made because you know if we if we had a lot of time I could tell you some pretty incredible real estate investing stories um, like a property manager that punched a tenant and the tenant fell to the ground and and unfortunately he died later in hospital and our property manager ended up getting charged with manslaughter and he was the only guy that would manage these particular properties that we had because they were in really rough neighborhoods he was actually defending himself when this altercation all went down so, you know, we have some wild, wild stories, but we've also had some good success. And so in about 2006, because uh, my husband and I started investing in 2001, in about 2006, we'd so started to sort out some of, these, some of these crazy stories, some of these problems that we'd had. And friends and family would always ask us to tell our stories and ask us for advice. So I just started writing a newsletter to help our friends and family. And within about two years, I didn't have a website. I didn't have anything. I barely knew what I was doing in terms of technically setting up a newsletter to send out. Um, but by just with two years of doing that, I already had over 500 readers, which with no websites, pretty darn good. And at that point, I, I was frustrated in the job that I was in and really just wanted a, a more freedom. I wanted to control my day and to, to really be able to help people as much as I possibly could. So I left and, and turned the newsletter into an education and training company. Wow, that's some diversification. That's fantastic. And how do you find that? Is it is it something you enjoy more than sales? Is sales still a part of that? Is it something that all ties together? How do you kind of how do you see your career progression? Do you enjoy one part of it more than than the other? Uh, everything you do in life is sales. Uh, I mean, it's you know, I one of the examples I was going to mention it later, but I, I mention it now. I mean, a, as a kid, my parents probably told me not to do drugs. Right. You know, that's something that parents, you know, that's something you're trying to encourage your parent or your kids not to do drugs. You know, don't touch hot things. I don't remember my parents ever saying don't do drugs, but I'm sure they did. What I do remember is them telling me a story about a friend of theirs who was a genius and he had a photographic memory. 
and he breezed through school. My dad was always jealous of him because he would get 100% on his exams without trying. And he went through law school, became a lawyer. But at the same time as he was going through law school and, and doing his, his bar exam and all that, he got into drugs. And only a couple years into his law career, he fried his brain, basically, and got disbarred and was basically now sitting around on the couch doing nothing. And I always remembered that story. So my parents, right then and there, they were selling me on the idea of not doing drugs. But they didn't do it in the conventional way of saying, don't do drugs. They told me a story that was seared into my memory and forever influenced me. I think that's really interesting because it was only this weekend I was talking to a friend of mine about pitching uh, pitching his new startup to uh, an investor, if you like. And one of the things that we do at the agency over at DMSQD is that obviously when you're talking to customers and you talk to clients and partners and you know guys that you have a relationship with, it's rare that you go right out and selling. You do, as you say right there, you frame everything with a story, whether it's something to get them excited, whether it's something to get them to buy into an idea, whether it's something to you know, align with their values or the problems that they've got. Everything is story-driven. And, and some of the most successful pitches that we've done as a business have all been story-led. And to hear you say that and validate that using such an example as your parents, I think is fantastic. And it, it, you're absolutely right. It just goes to show that actually <laughs> everything is sales, isn't it? It, it is. So, so for me to go from sales to being a real estate investor, well, everything I do as an investor is, is selling. I'm, I'm, I'm negotiating with, with sellers to buy their house for a good price. I negotiate with the contractors so they will renovate the property and do it on budget on time. And then I'm always selling my properties to potential tenants and then maybe even potential sellers in the future. So it, it's, I mean, real estate is very much sales. So then transitioning into a, an education and training company, well, I don't eat if I don't sell. You know, if, if I don't have people paying me to hear me talk, paying me to, uh, to hear what I have to say to help them, then I, I, don't, I don't make money. So everything, no matter what I'm doing in my life, even if I'm trying to convince my husband where we're going to go on vacation, I'm selling. <laughs> <laughs> You, maybe you can have a word with, with my wife because I've got some thoughts on holidays for this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you'll get some tips as we move forward in the conversation today. <laughs> uh, I'm making notes with bated breath. I'm waiting. I love it. Okay, so the, the interesting thing to take from that is actually that, as you say, everything's sales. And we all see businesses that, you know, do really well. And we all see businesses that actually don't do so well. There's always There's always examples of both cases. And more often than not, the businesses that don't do so well have problems. And a lot of those problems, normally cash flow related, and to take that a bit further, a lot of the time it's just a lack of work, which is a symptom of, of course, perhaps not being fantastic at sales. So thinking about that from a business owner's perspective, the, the audience of Excellence Expected and the listeners out there are, are listening as business owners and entrepreneurs. So if they're sat there thinking to themselves, okay, am I actually uncomfortable with this? What are the characteristics that they could perhaps recognize in themselves to, to highlight that fact that perhaps they're not salespeople and perhaps they need to put some work into that? What can they do to look into themselves to find those characteristics? Um, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting characteristic or an interesting question because I'm not sure there's actually specific characteristics. I know one thing that a lot of people talk about is that that uncomfortable feeling in your gut, you know, that 
Um, you feel a little queasy in your stomach when you're about to ask somebody to do something that's solely for your benefit. Uh, but I think a lot of it's just taking a look at your mindset. One of I had this woman, it's, it's a very vivid memory, uh, a couple of years ago. She sent me an, a fairly nasty email. I was promoting a course. Uh, one of the things I do have done a lot of training on over the years is how to raise money for your real estate deals because you're buying a lot of property. Most people eventually run out of money, so you need to raise the money. And the banks aren't always as generous as you'd like them to be. So you, you find money from other people. And so I was teaching this course on how to raise money. And she sent me this email and she said, I used to think you were the most honest, down-to-earth person in real estate, but I'm truly disgusted. You're teaching people to influence other people into giving them their money. You've lost me as a subscriber forever. And, and I was completely shocked by this. But after I took a step back, I realized a lot of people associate influence with manipulation. And people think manipulation is a bad thing. I actually think manipulation and influence are almost the same thing. I mean, at the end of the day, you're trying, you're trying to have somebody do something or not do something that you want them to do. They both mean the same thing. So taking a look at your own mindset and how you feel about these things, that's part of it. But I'll also offer you a different way of looking at it. Because for me, I've always looked at it from the perspective of what can I do to help you? And if I'm doing everything with your best interest in mind, I'm actually helping you. I'm not, I guess at the end of the day, I am selling you, I'm influencing you, but I'm doing it with your best interest in mind. So if you look at it as what problem does this person have that I can help them solve? What problems am I a best fit to solve or who am I a best fit to help? Then you're, you're twisting it around. So it's no longer about selling and it's no longer about you getting what you want, which might make you feel uncomfortable. It's about you helping them get what they want. And in the course of doing that, you're obviously benefiting. That idea of the value, I think, is so, so vital when it comes to, you know, if you call it cold, hard selling, if you like, the people that do see it still as selling, that value add is so, so important. So I, I love that advice around, you know, framing it slightly differently in your mind and just realizing that you're actually doing something for these people. You're not taking their money. You're actually just you're trading. In the honest sense of the term, you are trading either your experience or your skills or your products for, for obviously for their investment. But you're not giving them something that they don't want, or you're not giving them something that won't help them. It is, it's beneficial mutually, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, you can use, you know, once you understand the powers of persuasion and things that influence, you can use them for evil. But I, when I teach this, I'm going to <laughs> assume that you're going to use it for good. And I know me personally, I always do it for good. And, and that also means that there's times when you're going to be chatting with somebody and you're going to have to say, you know what, I'm not the best person to help you, but maybe there's something, you know, someone I can refer you to something. So, you know, there are going to be people that you have to say, look, this is, this is, this is not what you need. Um, I could sell this to you, but I'm not going to. And at the end of the day, that actually has even more powerful influence. And those people will remember you and refer people to you because you were focused on what they needed and not so worried about you and the sale. Do you know, I'm absolutely in love with that concept. It's something that I think as a business owner, and especially as your business matures, and there'll be a lot of listeners out there thinking to themselves, do you know what, actually, yeah, I, I do do that. And perhaps I don't give myself enough credit for it because we all have to learn when to say no at the right time. And, you know, I'm in a service business myself. And sometimes you just have a feeling that you're not the right person or the right fit for whatever reason. And actually 
allowing yourself to say no, but offer a positive referral or a positive outcome, even though you are saying, look, perhaps we're not the right fit together. You're absolutely right. It creates advocates of your business. It allows people to see that you're not just there for the sales. You're actually there to build a relationship. And I think that is so, 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 so important. Do you do you find that with the people that you're talking to, do you find that quite a difficult mindset to get across to people? Um, at first, yes, especially because a lot of people feel, because often I teach it as, as the genuine push away. And, and two things happen when you do a genuine push away. One is they go, mm, yeah, you know what? You're right. I, this isn't the right fit for me. And they walk away. And, and still, usually it's a very favorable impression they walk away with. But the other thing that can happen is that people will try to then convince you that, no, actually, I do want to work with you. <laughs> it is a bizarre thing. But if it is a genuine push away and you're saying, look, I don't think this is right. Um, once people try it and they realize that it feels good to be able to um, first of all, focus on finding that ideal person that you want to work with that you're best suited to help. It, your business only blossoms from there. But also seeing the results of what can happen with the genuine push away. Because if somebody is looking like they're going to be a difficult person to work with, and you give them a little bit of a push away because you're not sure, and they step forward, and then sometimes they'll rectify those questions that you had in your mind, and you'll end up having a great working relationship. So a lot of good comes from it. So I think most of the time, if, if the concept is a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit strange to you to be basically rejecting a potential sale or rejecting a potential client, uh, once you try it once, I, I know you'll be sold on it because as long as it's genuine, it, it's a powerful, powerful tool to have in your toolbox. I think that's so vital for people that are in the startup space, you know, because especially in the service industry, when you think back to, you know, I guess perhaps how you started, but certainly how we started as a business, a lot of the time you are clamoring for work and you're very, you're very nervous about pushing people away, even if it's for the right reasons. And you do sometimes hold on to work that becomes more destructive than it is productive. Mm -hmm. And obviously that impacts profitability, impacts your own stress levels, your own lifestyle. And I think the more that people embrace that honesty and obviously pitch it in the right manner. So as you say, if you push back with a a good reason and someone presents themselves um, in a slightly different fashion following that, you're only benefiting yourselves and each other, aren't you? It's, it, yep. it's very rare that a negative comes out of that. Yeah, it, it is very. Again, if it's done genuinely, it, I have not seen a negative come out of it. When, it. when it can go wrong is if you're doing it as a technique to close a sale. And that's, you're not doing it for genuine reasons anymore. And, uh, and then that is, people can smell that, you know, people, some people it'll work sometimes, but there's a lot of people out there that will sense it. And, uh, and then things can go a little awry from there. That's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that. And um, I suppose from the perspective of using that as a sales technique and, and the fact that people may cotton onto that, do you think that people more and more as time passes are becoming more aware of sales techniques so that, for example, the general public that you may end up selling wares to, are they more perceptive, perceptive, excuse me, perceptive around that? Do they understand that they've been sold to perhaps where in the past they may not have understood that, you know, thanks to the internet, thanks to podcasts like this? Are they becoming more aware of sales techniques and are they, I guess, are they more able to spot them and, and do you have this kind of bounce back between the salesperson and the customer? 
Yeah, I think people are more aware. That doesn't mean that they a lot of the techniques still won't work. Um, awareness only works if you are, are uh, if you stop and question things. And a lot of people are just worrying about in their day and and rushing through looking for shortcuts, so they don't always stop and question it. But uh, I think uh, people do. We have a really powerful unconscious or subconscious that works, and you'll get gut feelings about people. Uh, really quickly. And if you are someone that pays attention to it, you may not realize that it was a technique that they were using, not genuinely, that's got you set up. Some people will notice it as a technique. So there'll be probably two camps of people um, that I think will know that it's a technique. They won't know, they won't know exactly what it was intended to do, but they'll, they'll just not like it. And then there'll be another group that'll go, oh, I read about that technique too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's really interesting because there's a lot of personal development out there and obviously it's always been there but I think because the accessibility and the the embrace of the entrepreneurial spirit these days I think people are much more aware that they can develop themselves in their spare time and obviously sales is a big part of that and I think you're absolutely right that the awareness is all well and good but without the kind of desire to do something about it it's kind of moot I guess Mm -hmm. um I just find that whole well to frame it a different way, I'm always very aware when I walk into a certain circumstance that I may well be sold to. The, the old classic example of the car showroom, you know, I'm always aware that I may end up getting sold to. And now actually businesses and car garages are actually positively advertising that they won't try and sell to you. And yeah. it's I just find that really interesting from a marketing perspective, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. I mean, a lot, a lot of more things have switched. So they're, they're less about sales and they're almost about the, almost about the anti-sale. Whether that'll change again in the future, things seem to kind of go in cycles that way. So, but yeah, right now I think authenticity is one of those buzzwords, right? Everybody wants to be authentic and more genuine and more real, but it's almost like they're, they're doing it as a marketing ploy. So it's not actually real, right? (laughs) Absolutely. I can entirely, entirely agree with that. I think, you know, in this age of social media that we live in, everyone, along with authenticity, everyone is advocating transparency. And as you say, it's almost forced. Sometimes you think, well, actually, okay, that kind of looks transparent, but is that, are they marketing me? What's going on? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Who to trust? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Fantastic. Really, really interesting. So, okay, we're now going to talk about the now famous Excellence Expected Takeaways. And we're getting to this a little earlier than normal, actually. But the reason for that is that, Julie, you've put together not three, not five, but eight things that people can take from this episode to impact their own sales technique and their own opportunity spotting. So I know to start things off, you have three things that you must not do in order to spot opportunities. Yeah, you bet. And before I do that, I just want to mention that the reason I I suggested we talk about it is because just about every single day that I actually leave my office, I have to say that because sometimes I never never leave my office, but there's, there's situations where people miss sales opportunities all the time. And I'll give you kind of a personal example where you might go, whoa, that's too much information. So I apologize in advance. But, you know, I was at I was at uh, this clinic getting laser hair removal on my legs because I'm going to go to the beach and I don't want to have to worry about shaving. So there's the (laughs) there's the too much information for you. That's why people say I'm real and authentic because I just tell you stuff like that. But uh, (laughs) but so, so she has posters up on her wall about other skin things that she treats. 
and I am not quite 40, but I'm getting there. And there's certain things like wrinkles that I would love to fight. And so she had a poster up there kind of talking about these things called collagen treatments. And I looked up and I just said, I said, oh, you know, I said, fighting wrinkles, that sounds like something I'd like to learn more about. And she just said, oh, yeah, she said, collagen's a good thing to start doing when you're in your 30s. And that's it. And, and so I left the clinic and, and that was it. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to push to spend my money there. And it's not something I'm like driven to fix in my life. It was something I was curious about, but had she asked me some questions and understood and figured out if I was a fit, she would have probably had a, had a sale. And not only that, she would have had a customer that was fairly happy, go from happy to delighted, right? So she not only missed a sale, but she missed an opportunity to turn me into a raving fan of what she can do. So, and I see opportunities like that all the time. And so one of the things I thought we should talk about is, you know, what you should do to spot opportunities because people miss them, especially at networking events. I see this all the time too, you know, not just when I'm a customer. So, so that's just a little background on it and too much information about me now. <laughs> I have the same problem with the beach. I have to be honest, Jules. <laughs> It's a little more acceptable for guys than it is for the ladies to go with hairy legs, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that's perhaps where I've been going wrong all these years? <laughs> well, I have to admit, it, it, it gets me really, really curious, actually, because, you know, that example that you just gave there, it, it's, it's something that we all see every single day, and perhaps I don't take notice of it, and I'm sure the guys listening out there probably don't take notice of it, but you're right. When you think about it, that's generally how we deal with people. We 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 offer conversation, but we don't offer anything else after that, which would theoretically be a very, very easy sell in that kind of scenario. So what are the three things that people must do in order to spot opportunities? Well, number one is know who or what you're looking for. So I, I'll put this in context of clients because probably a lot of people have uh, are more focused on a client than a certain other scenario. So, so who is your ideal client? Uh, and, and probably take it a little further and think about what your ideal outcome is. So you're, again, you're not focusing on the sale. You're focused on finding that fit, finding that person that you most want to work with, but that you're also most suited to help them solve a problem. So in her case, maybe I'm not an ideal client, but she said collagen is good for people in their thirties. Well, I'm well into my thirties. So, uh, you know, that part, you know, check, right? So whatever other qualities, you know, you might need for an ideal client, you got to think about that so that now your radar is open to who is your who is in that ideal client range so that you're at least looking for them so that when they're standing in front of you asking a question your your radar's beeping right that's really interesting because i think it's something that especially if you've got your head down in business and you're perhaps going about your day and we all go about our day at times in, in a bit of a rushed manner when, when the situation dictates. And sometimes it'd be very easy to walk past those opportunities. But what we're talking about there is almost training yourself to realize and, and allow your radar to ping when someone who is perfectly fit to your organization steps into your life. And, you know, the, I love the idea of being able to train yourself to do that and just change almost instantly from right head down. This is what I am doing to, well, wait a second there's someone here with whom I could do business. I think that's really, 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 really interesting. And a lot of people don't sit down and define who that person is. You know, you might think, you know, just let's go with, I'm kind of on a hair run here. So my dad, he's bald and, uh, and he has no hair. So you, if you have a hair loss solution, you might think somebody like my dad is a client, 
But the reality is my dad doesn't care. He's bald and he's proud, right? He's been bald for probably 35 years. So he's good with it. So he's not your ideal client as a hair loss person. But if you're not sitting down and defining who specifically is your ideal client, you might think anybody who's bald is a client. So your radar might be skewed. And then you get used to people with bald, not, bald people not paying attention to you. But if you sat down and thought, okay, it's, a, it's somebody who's probably just going bald. They're self-conscious about it. They want to fix it. They're buying shampoos already that, that are you know, saying they'll stop hair loss. You know, things like that. Now that you've found your ideal client, now, now you've defined it. So it's much, much easier to spot. I think you've just described me there, Julie. So if anyone <laughs> is selling hair, hair, hair recovery products, give me a call. <laughs> okay, so we'll move on. I'll, I'll try not to have hair examples anymore. Okay, so <laughs> that second one, we've already talked about it, but stories. Having an arsenal of a few cool, short and I, I emphasize short, you know, short and concise stories um, that will help people remember what you do, who you are. Um, and even as you as you get into some, if you are actually in a sales role, you need to have stories that handle objections or even better block them before they ever come up. And, um, you know, I, I could I could tell you some stories that would make you remember me for my, my stressful sales situations. You know, you might think of me now as the Canadian girl who cried in her car, right? <laughs> but, but you, you know, you remember me, so that's something. Um, but having those short, concise stories that, that you can tell make it more engaging and interesting for people, but it's also uh, a way to sell. So client stories are one, right? Really short, concise client success stories, having those in your arsenal or, um, or just fun, interesting stories about how you got into what you do or why you do what you do. Those are all really useful and really powerful to have in your arsenal. I think that is extremely, extremely powerful for people. I think when you, when you think about some of the, the biggest successes that you've had in your business as you're listening to this episode, I would imagine that actually you've been through that process. You've struck up such a good relationship that you've shared anecdotal stories and you've found some <laughs> common ground. And I think that's fantastic, Julie, really, really powerful. And I can relate to that entirely from even just from my working life today. <laughs> yeah. And then the third thing to spot opportunities is good questions. I mean, really, at the end of the day, if you do nothing else but define your ideal client and start practicing asking questions, uh, you'll be miles, miles further ahead in any influence situation. And the thing with questions, there's, there's two things here. One is questions control a conversation. So we go back to the whole concept of this being about conversational selling. You might think that you need to talk a lot to control the conversation. Well, the fact is the less you talk, but the more you're asking direct questions, the more you are in control. So whoever's asking the questions, ultimately they're driving that conversation. So good questions are important for that. The other piece is how do you know if this person is a fit? How can you decide how you can help them or what's best to help them um, if you don't know what's most important to them? So asking questions, you know, uh, what do you like about that? Oh, um, you know, oh, in your business, you must have some tough problems to solve. What's one that you're working on right now? Um, what's most important to you in finding a solution to that? You know, I mean, going back to the, the, uh, the clinic that I was in, you know, oh, you know, what's most important to you or what's most concerning to you about your skin right now? That would have been a simple thing for her to ask. And I, you know, I could have gone in and talked about, oh, these fine lines around my eyes, they're getting less and less fine and more and more prominent. What can I do? 
And then she would have said, well, what's most important to you? Well, I don't want to look like, you know, somebody's pulled my face to the sides, like and I'm running, running through a speed, going through a, like a dog with their car, their head sticking out of their <laughs> car window, right? I don't want to look like that. So she could have asked me, what's most important to you and finding a solution? What else? Now you really know uh, about somebody and what they need. And now you can figure out if, if you can help them or if there's somebody that you can refer to them to that can do a better job of helping them. You know, the beauty of all of that, every, every one of those three tips, we actually, we have the power to do that very, very easily ourselves. It's not something that we need to spend a lot of our time on. It's more of a mindset, isn't it? And it's more around, okay, be more conscious about how I'm going to approach this situation versus these behemoth tasks that we've somehow got to fit into our workflow. I think they're extremely high impact and extremely low uh, input, if you like. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you've ever studied magic at all, uh, you you kind of get, it's kind of disappointing, actually, when you find out what, what happens behind a magic trick. It's basic principles that are applied that make these illusions seem so real. And ultimately, you know, that's that's what all of the most successful things in life, I think, come from just consistently applying basic principles over and over again. They always say that consistency is the key, don't they? Whether it's it's, a, it's changing your body in a gym or succeeding in business. Yeah. It's doing the little things every single day that count. It's not the big gestures, it's the little things. And and we can all get better at things. I think that's the key thing, certainly for, for guys out there that are listening and saying, well, look, you know, I'm, I'm not a salesperson and I just can't do this. I think challenging yourself to do one small thing slightly differently every day. So ask that more direct question the next time you're in a meeting, talk less, listen more, you know, whatever that small thing is for you, beginning to take steps in the right direction can be so powerful and have such an effect, can't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, I'm actually, I'm a very high introvert. Uh, and that doesn't mean I don't like people. So extroverts always react and go, well, you don't like people, you're an introvert. It just means that I get my energy from, from, you know, recharging alone, and groups tend to tire me out. But that as an introvert, anybody else who's introverted that's listening to this, you're actually at a great advantage because you've spent a lot of your life already listening. Now you just need to sit back and ask good questions so you can get information as you're listening that you can now use in the few sentences that you do need to say to basically tell somebody how you can help them, you know, overcome what they're afraid of or solve a problem that they're, that they're facing right now. And actually, the interesting thing to come out of all that is that the more you do that, the more you practice that, and the more you consciously consider when you are doing that, the more effective you'll become at selling, but the less you will feel like you're selling. Yeah, exactly. I love that. That's really, really interesting. Okay, so they're the three things that you must do in order to spot opportunities. Interestingly, the next thing I'm really, really curious about are what are the five things you should never do when you're connecting with others? All right. First of all, it's basic, but it's fundamental you have to have a good handshake. So if your handshake is gross at all, you're ruining that very first thing that you do. <laughs> I love the concept of a gross handshake. <laughs> well, really, if you've ever sh if you've ever <laughs> shaken hands with somebody and their hand was wet or limp, <laughs> like that is disgusting. <laughs> so fix that. <laughs> wow, I didn't expect that to come up in conversation today when I woke up this morning. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, I mean, have you, have you had that experience where you've shaken hands with somebody and it's a limp handshake or it's a little sweaty or anything like that? 
A thousand times. And how do you? A thousand times. And how connected do you feel at that with that person at that moment? Yeah, you're right. You actually feel like leaving, don't you? <laughs> it, it ruins everything. So if you want to have a connection with people, you have to get that sorted out. Whatever, whatever's going on with your handshake, get help. Make sure it's a nice, firm handshake. One pump. Look them in the eye. You know, a basic thing, but it, it changes everything. It's your first initial impression. Yeah, it it really is. As much as that is, you know, we, we talk about it in a comedic light. I absolutely agree with that, and it's something that. I think people actually consciously work on, you know, it's something as daft as this sounds, it's something that I've worked on in the past. And I would entirely agree with that because it forms the very, very first, very, very first impression, even before a word is spoken. Sometimes I think it's really, really useful. Yep. Second of all is avoid being predictable or even I'll take that and call it boring. So have a fun way to connect with people and be remembered. One of my favorite examples, I met a guy Uh, at a conference. And when, you know, you kind of do the inevitable, what do you do? He says, oh, I make paper clips for a living. (laughs) I I kind of went, what? Pardon me? (laughs) And he laughed and he said, I make paper clips for a living. Well, that's what I said, but it's not actually true. I sell life insurance, but usually that scares people away. So I make up other things so people don't run away from me. (laughs) Well, I had a good laugh and I chatted with him for quite a long time. Whereas frankly, he's right. If he had just said, you know, hi, I'm Joe and I sell life insurance, I would have been, oh, okay. See you, Joe. Right. Because <laughs> you have these kind of made up things in your head, uh, uh, preconceived notions, if you will. Uh, and if you're not, if you're too predictable, the mind always looks for shortcuts. And so we'll quickly file you in our little box in our head or in that file folder and we'll move on. So having, if you're too boring or you're too predictable, people aren't going to pay attention and you can't connect with somebody who's not paying attention to you. So, you know, laughter leads to listening. If you can make them smile, if you can make them laugh, they're going to give you at least a few more minutes of their attention. So, so try and find a fun way to get a conversation started. I think that's really, really interesting. Actually, you know, on the back of that, (laughs) I have a confession to make. Once at a networking event, I I was in the company of a thousand other designers at the time and you know everyone there was a, a designer and instead I introduced myself as a, a crab shaver <laughs> <laughs> and the the retort of the person that I first mentioned that to was well that's weird I've never seen any hairy crabs and my retort <laughs> back to that was well I'm that good <laughs> I love it that's a perfect example and for years, I thought I was crazy. <laughs> and you've just validated it for me. So thank you so much. And do you know what? We actually ended up working together for five years. So that, that, yeah, all right. I like that. <laughs> See, you were brilliant and didn't even know it. <laughs> I'm going to take that. Thank you. <laughs> Superb. All right. Number three. Try to convince somebody of pretty much anything. So, so you mentioned your wife. You've probably already experienced this in your marriage life, trying to convince somebody about something. Um, we all resist unwelcome attempts to, to influence us or convince us. And I had this happen just this past weekend. My, my husband, Dave's dad, uh, his name's Ed. He was talking about eggs here in British Columbia in Canada and how he, he can't find a good egg. He said, there's no such thing in BC as a good egg. And he had reasons why he had this belief, but his reasons weren't facts. But So I shared a few facts as to why it was probably just where he had gotten the eggs and not all eggs in general. 
but it didn't matter. He was completely set that all eggs in BC were crap. And I pretty much gave up because I really don't care what he thinks of the eggs. Uh, And I also knew I wasn't going to get anywhere with that approach because people might believe what they're told if you give them facts, but they'll always believe what they've concluded. And he concluded all BC eggs were terrible. And unless I took a different approach, he wasn't going to get there. So a different approach back to those questions. If I'd really wanted to change his mind, I would have approached it and said, well, what do you like about the eggs that you get? Because he kept talking about the eggs from Seattle. So I said, what do you like about the eggs you get from Seattle? What else? Well, and maybe, maybe where have you purchased your eggs here in BC from? Hmm, maybe have you, have you tried getting them from a local farm, right? That's how I would have gone through. If I really wanted to convince him, if I really cared, that's what I would have done. And, and that's a much better approach because if you ask people questions and allow them to come to a different conclusion on their own, then it'll work. But if you try to convince them, you try to present them with all these wonderful rational facts, it's not going to work. It's allowing them to believe they've had the idea, isn't it? I think that's really, really, really powerful. Again, it's and again, it's something that I think as you become more seasoned as a business person, I think it's something that you naturally do do. We've all been in the situation where a customer or a client, you know, perhaps disagrees with our way of thinking. And you're absolutely right. It's because they've come to a conclusion that is is perhaps not based on fact or it's not well-reasoned or it's not entirely thought out. And sure enough, by phrasing the questions correctly, you can almost allow them to convince themselves, can't you? That's really, really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, the other way to do that is stories, right? Having a few good stories. So you're not arguing with them. You're just presenting them another point of view. Yeah, I love that. That's really, really good. Really, really powerful. And number four. You you can't assume people know what you're talking about or that they don't. I mean, there's nothing worse when you're trying to connect with somebody and all of a sudden that, you know, you're talking to them and then they talk about something totally over your head. I had a guy just a couple weeks ago at a networking event go, yeah, you know, I set up VPNs and private networks and he starts going on all this technical stuff, which actually I, 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 I do know what a VPN is, but when he started going into all these high level security things that he does, I had no idea. But if he had stopped and asked me a few questions about my business, he could have put it in a context that I might understand, but he didn't. He just went over my head. I mean, the same thing happens when you know all about something. So if somebody was talking to me and say they were a real estate investor themselves and didn't know I was a real estate investor, and they started explaining that they buy houses and put tenants in them and rent them out, I'm not going to be connected to that person either because they didn't stop to understand that I already know all that. So finding out what the person already knows or understanding their context a bit just so you can relate to what they already know. So whatever you do or whatever you're trying to talk to them about, putting it in a context that they already understand, that they already know and like, it, it just puts you so much further ahead than if you talk above them or below them. It becomes more about listening in the early stages of that conversation, doesn't it? We've all been to the networking mm-hmm. events where people instantly come out of the blocks in sales spiel mode. And you're just thinking, wow, you know, I'm not really here for this. I'm just, I'm kind of here to meet people. I don't want to hear every little detail about this. Because as you say, I either know it already mm-hmm. or I have no idea what you're talking about. So that, I find that really, really interesting. And, and for me, the, the action point, you know, personally would be, well, look, let's go in there and be a bit more empathetic and let's just, let's just listen a little bit more before we decide how to pitch ourselves. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for him, in his case, a perfect way would have been, well, you know, I have an IT security company, but, you know, what exactly do you do? And ask me a couple questions so that then he can say, well, yeah, you know, 
so in your example, what you do, here's where you might use a service like mine, or here's, you know, oh, you must have, um, like I actually had mentioned, I have a virtual assistant who works for me from the Philippines. He could have put that into context as to explain how he sets up some of their systems, but he didn't know any of that. And he just dove in. So, so knowing a few details, uh, it'll go miles in, in connection. And then people will feel like you really understand them, which is a beautiful way to develop a connection. Yeah, I think that's really, really, really interesting. It's something that I think a lot of people can really benefit from. You know, as I said myself and, and the guys in DMSQD as a business, I think everyone can benefit from going into a situation and just taking stock of where they are and who they're with before deciding how best to present themselves. So I think that's really, really useful. And the fifth and the final tip. All right. Well, we started with handshake, so I'm going to wrap it up with something else that, that's physical appearance. Uh, uh, so ignoring your appearance is an absolute mistake. Like it or not, what you look like matters a lot. So in order to get and hold attention, you have to be somebody that is pleasant to look at. I'm not talking about, you know, making yourself into a supermodel because some of us don't, you know, we, we weren't born 10 out of 10. So just make the most of what you've got. And it's actually a very disturbing subject when you get into it and start reading about it. Uh, I don't know if, you've, if you're familiar with the work of Robert B. Cialdini, um, his book, Influence, really good book. Um, but What a fantastic book, yeah. Yeah, Huge fan of that. you've read it. So, so, I mean, he talks about how students who are more attractive get better grades. Um, they're more likely to get hired or to get promotions based on nothing other than multiple studies proving that it's the better looking people. And even when it goes to babies, you know, babies have preferences towards someone who is more attractive. So this is hardwired into us. It's just like it or not, this is reality. So just pay attention to what you look like. You know, uh, guys, get rid of the nose hair, get rid of the ear hair. (laughs) It's not cool. How much hair conversation are we going to have in one episode? (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm on a roll with hair today. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, Whiter teeth are more preferential than yellow teeth. You know, get a good haircut, one that suits your your face. So go into the $10 or I guess in your world, I don't know if you have a, a five pound haircut, but you know, the, the, 10, the $10 haircut here, it's a cheap haircut. People can tell it's a cheap haircut. Get a good haircut, you know, maintain a healthy body weight, dress well. Those things matter way more than I want them to um, and way more than you probably want them to as well, but they matter. And, and it's really hard to establish a connection with somebody if there's something that they can't stop thinking about, you know, <laughs> they can't stop thinking about that darn ear hair. I'm sorry. They're not going to connect with you. <laughs> We've all seen Austin Powers with the mole. And that is exactly exactly that. (laughs) That's a perfect example. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? Inside all of that fantastic fun that we've had, there are some immensely powerful tips. And back to that physicality side of things, I was reading something recently that said that, you know, keeping yourself physically fit, it helps so much in sales and marketing. It's not about being you know, a bodybuilder or a swimsuit model. It's actually just just showing an air of healthiness. And it's something that, you know, as a business owner, sometimes it's really, really difficult to to force yourself to do that. And, you know, we all make the excuses that we're so busy and an hour spent in the gym or an hour spent getting my hair cut or an hour spent clothes shopping is an hour that we could be working. But actually, it all matters. And I think that is so, so vital for people to understand that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Really, really curious. Well, do you know what? That has been absolutely fantastic. That is packed solid, solid, solid of gold nuggets and tips and advice. I think that's fantastic. So, Julie, thank you so much. 
Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Now, before we close the show, just tell the guys out there listening where they can find you online, please. Well, there's two places. My, my Well, you can find me lots of places online if you just Google my name. Um, but uh, Revenue, dot com is my real estate investing tips website. And then I have a second website where I talk about influence and impact. And that is juliebroad.com. So my name, juliebroad.com. Fantastic. Thank you once again. And thank you to you, you guys out there listening. As ever, it's been a real pleasure chatting to Julie and sharing those insights with you. If you would like the show notes for this and, of course, every episode, head on over to excellence-expected.com. And whilst you're over there, don't forget you can download your free copy of my ebook, The 14-Day Essential Guide to Reducing Your Working Hours and Increasing Your Impact. A lot of powerful takeaways from that ebook as well. Sign up for your free copy. And if you're feeling generous or you're on a little bit of downtime, I would really, really appreciate an honest review over on iTunes. Thank you so much for that. Julie, once more, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Until next time, guys, don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Bye-bye.